when you are inviting people to turn inwards and do this work, suddenly they find themselves in this landscape that the more I read about it, the more I kind of did my own personal work, the more I realized, oh, this is the work human beings have to do inside of ourselves to become whole and to live out the work that we are meant to be doing to really be contributing in the way we're meant to contribute, you know, and frankly, it is not a landscape that is really powerfully illuminated by many of the systems we live in. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this edition of Conversations, powered by Quantivos. I'm Brian Gorman, a coach at Quantivos and your host for Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. Max Clow, who is an integral master coach. He holds a doctorate from Harvard in leadership. Max, when I was reading your profile, a few things jumped out, and I'm going to do what a good coach never does. I'm going to put a number of things on the table and ask you to pick up whichever one you want to run with first. You talk about the inner journey of leadership. You talk about connecting with purpose. You talk about living with courage and integrity as a leader. You talk about leaders changing at the level of their way of being. And you talk about leaders confronting their shadow. Any number of things that we could spend a lot of time talking about. The floor is yours. Wow. Well, you know, to me, all of that is interconnected. Um, and I guess to give you a little bit of background on me, I'm an alum of four different service programs. So I've led service programs in Israel and Ghana and Honduras. Service was kind of my home base, uh, really the, the most important experiences I had. And I ended up getting a, a doctorate at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and did not realize there was this field of leadership, but I kind of discovered the world of adaptive leadership, which is a model developed by uh, Ron Heifetz, who's a professor at the Kennedy School, that is you know, very focused on understanding how we create change in systems, but also has a very powerful kind of psychological focus, a real focus on the inner life of somebody who is trying to create change. And... I've, I've always just been fascinated by the relationship between change in the outer world and change in the inner world. And when I graduated, when I got my doctorate, I, through a very fortunate series of events, landed at an organization called City Year, which is an AmeriCorps program. And it engages young adults uh, ages 18 to 24 in a year of full-time service focused on working in high-need schools. So supporting students in these schools with you know, math support and literacy support and behavior management. So the point is, it's a, it was a really intense, demanding service experience where these young people were in schools, you know, sometimes 10 hours a day doing this incredibly demanding work at the front lines trying to create change. But the thing that really fascinated me was kind of, uh, what is the inner work somebody needs to do 
if they are going out into the world trying to create change? And can we integrate into an organization like City Year, into a big organization, can we integrate a, a space and a process that invites people to turn inwards and pay attention to that inner world and also illuminates the landscape of that inner world and guides them through it in a way that's really powerful? And that's why once you start talking about the inner journey, you get to purpose and mission and courage and you get to shadow and integrity. And when you are inviting people to turn inwards and do this work, suddenly they find themselves in this in this landscape that the more I read about it, the more I kind of did my own personal work, the more I realized, oh, this is this is the work human beings have to do inside of ourselves to become whole and to uh, live out the work that we were meant to be doing to really be contributing in the way we're meant to contribute, you know? And frankly, it is not a landscape that is really powerfully illuminated by many of the systems we live in, you know, education systems and work and very achievement oriented. They're not terribly thoughtful and powerful and effective about really inviting people into the inner journey and guiding them through it. And so that's really where my work has been. Thank you. One of the things that comes to my mind immediately in listening to you is as we grow up from a very young age, we are defining, whether intentionally or not, and very often not intentionally, we are defining how we're going to show up in the world. Mm. Um, all of those stories that we hear from others about who we are, um, about what we're worthy of or not worthy of, uh, all of those become the truths that really filter the world around us to direct how we show up. And so for me and I, I teach a lot of uh, organizational change, a lot of around personal change, a lot of the neuroscience behind how we show up becomes so important because the way we are leading isn't going to lead into change. We need to change how we're leading. Yeah, clearly. The world is in trouble. Uh, there's clearly something that we need to shift if we are going to stop recreating this, uh, this craziness all around us. Yeah. Where does a leader begin if she or he is listening to this and saying, yeah, I can, I can make some sense of that. I need to do some inner work. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think, I mean, the very beginning is listening for the call and answering the call. You know, my work is very grounded in Joseph Campbell, the comparative mythologist who studied these myths all around the world. I've integrated into my, you know, my work in leadership development, my coaching work. But, you know, there's, there's, it always begins with you hear this call to, um, to take a journey into something you don't understand. And it really begins when you say, yes, I, I hear a call and I'm in, let's do this, you know? And then you can discover, I mean, uh, you know, obviously I'm a coach and I'm, I do leadership development. I'm like, uh, there are people around who can help you on your journey, who can understand, kind of guide you through this process. But also once you start looking for it, there's an entire world of resources. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a huge believer in not, looking for the answer, but getting really clear on the question. And even just saying, now I just need to know myself better, opens up a whole set of doorways and a whole pathway to 
what, what does it mean to know oneself? Who am I? Why do I do what I do? You know, um, and committing to a question, suddenly pathways start appearing that lead you into that work. I had not known that about you and Joseph Campbell. No, he's, uh, I've read almost every word he's ever written. He's hugely influential to me. Yeah. I have a uh, chapter that was published digitally uh, in Springer International's Handbook of Personal Organizational Transformation. My understanding is they're coming out with a new book this year, digital and print, that will include the chapter. It's called The Hero and the Sherpa. Love it. And, and you and I and others of our ilk who are leadership development, coaches, and so forth, we're the guides. Right. The real heroes are the leaders who are going through this journey of self-discovery and growth Absolutely. and leading their organization. Yep. And, and to paraphrase it, I don't, I'm not sure I'm quoting directly Joseph Campbell. In part, this is so important is that while we approach every change as if it's unique and unpredictable, it's not. Correct. We take the same change journey over and over and over again. Yes. Yes. Where does the shadow come into play? So Joseph Campbell was a student of Carl Jung, and so is really kind of a um, very much in the lineage of Carl Jung. And both Campbell and Jung say the confrontation with the shadow is an essential act on the journey to wholeness. We cannot really understand who we are without doing that work. And, you know, in mythology, it's always the moment when the hero stops running from the dragon and just turns to face, says, I'm I'm done running. I'm going to turn to face whatever this thing is that I have refused to look at. And metaphorically, you know, that's the idea of turning to confront all the parts of ourselves that um, scare us, that we don't fully understand, that we prefer to keep unconscious because to um, to really confront it is deeply challenging, might destroy our understanding of ourselves as we are. Like our current form of self might just have to die uh, in order to integrate the fullness and the truth and the wholeness of who we are. You know, um, and Jung also says that if we haven't done that work, then what we do is we project it outwards and we see all that darkness that lives inside of us. We see it elsewhere. We see it in some other who is everything that we think is terrible in the world, you know, and man, when I look at the world, I just there's so much othering. There's so much of this dehumanization. And I just feel like we have hit the limits of how far we can get without really doing this. You know, um, and of course, it's always deeply personal work. Each of us has our own kind of shadow, the parts that are unconscious, the stuff that's hard for us. But we can see very clearly the collective kind of civic impact of people who haven't done it and are very susceptible to somebody who shows up and says that other, they are everything you need to hate. You know, and it, uh, we, we are really seeing at the kind of national, global, civic level what does it mean to not be engaged in this work? So Max, turning and facing the dragon, that's where the courage comes in. Absolutely, absolutely. It's not easy work. And I think one of the important pieces of the journey as as Joseph Campbell describes it, is you're not the same person when you're all done. Absolutely. Well. You're actually more you than you were than you when you started, but definitely the assumptions, the identities, the the, the kind of self understandings we have 
oftentimes those things are are transformed or straight up shattered in order for some new, more accurate self-understanding to occur. I mean, how I relate to myself, how I relate to others, yes. how I lead yes. is fundamentally different. And for me, one of the exciting realities about this is this is not a once and done journey. Yeah, it never ends. It never ends. Yeah. This is a lifetime pursuit. The quote that comes to mind for me, and it's actually um, at the opening of the chapter that I wrote, is Sir Edmund Hillary who for those who don't know, and I realize as I get older that there are those who have never heard of him, uh, he and his Sherpa were actually the first two people to conquer and, and reach the top of Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. And Hillary once said, it's not the mountain we conquer, it's ourselves. Absolutely, right. In your journey, what are you willing to share? And, and uh, Understandably, yeah, I know for me, parts of my journey are very personal. Right. But what are you willing to share about some of the insights and changes that that you have been able to make? Yeah, I mean, I, I the way I talk about my journey is, I was a lost idealist. I mean, if I had to put a name to kind of the the hardest piece of work I had to do as an emerging adult was I had this burning burning passion to do good in the world and really didn't know what path to walk, where to focus it, what direction to go in. And it was excruciating at times to just feel like I was wasting my potential and not having the impact I wanted. And, you know, I was just, you know, very much felt lost in the woods uh, without really being able to talk about it in that kind of way, you know, but definitely felt lost. And over time, I kind of was on this journey of, so how do you find your purpose when you don't know your purpose? How do you find your path when you don't know what your path is? And over years, I had faced tests and challenges, you know, and exactly as Joseph Campbell says will happen and guides appeared and doors opened. And, and uh, over time, I found my way to, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, and all of that learning went into the work I've been doing, which is, uh, you know, leadership development and coaching is about guiding other people along that path, you know, and part of my story was, I mean, I was really, I uh, had almost finished my doctorate. I was in my early thirties when I first encountered Joseph Campbell. And suddenly he talks in these terms of like the, the spiritual journey is you enter the forest where there is no path. You know, that comes from the, um, the myth of, of King Arthur. That's when they went for the grail. You have to walk into this wilderness in a place where nobody has gone before you. And when you are there, you have to find your way forward and guides will appear and, you know, signs will appear and, um, doors will open because you've committed to the journey that wouldn't have opened if you hadn't, you know, answered this call. And all of a sudden I was like, this is what my life has felt like. And here's this description of it. And I'm not alone in it. And it's actually kind of this universal spiritual experience. Uh, so, you know, for me, Joseph Campbell was just this huge, like, oh, <laughs> this is what I've been doing. And this is how to understand it. And really, you know, it's a map. And then the question becomes, how can you kind of invite other people into this and, and be as helpful as you can be with some understanding of the map? One of the things that has really sort of led me, if you will, over the last several years is understanding the neuroscience behind all of this. 
And we've all heard, if we haven't experienced exactly what you're talking about, people who say, all of a sudden, someone showed up that was just the right person that I needed to meet. Yep. Suddenly, doors opened that were just the right doors. The neuroscience behind that is very simple at one level, which is those people would have been there anyway. Those doors would have been there anyway. But if I was not present and aware and being on that journey, my unconscious would have filtered them out. They would have just been another door, another person. Mm, right. I wouldn't have understood the meaning they represented. Yeah. My own journey began in a similar way to yours. It began, and, and some of our listeners have heard this story, it began as a freshman at Syracuse University. And I, it was 1967-68. I was doing youth work on the Onondaga Reservation. Mm. The university mascot was the Saltine Warrior, was a Native American figure, yep. um, portrayed at all sorts of public events by Caucasian fraternity brothers playing the drunken Indian. Yeah, yeah. And I tried to get the university to change the mascot. It actually took the Onondaga Nation 10 years from that time to make it happen. Mm -hmm. But this drive for being a catalyst and eventually I discovered a guide through change really was ignited in me. And I didn't even recognize it for the first 20 years. I was, you know, there's the next opportunity. There's the next opportunity. Until I finally realized that the common thread was change. Yeah. So it's, it's been a fascinating journey. Again, for me, one of the very positive parts is it doesn't end. I am more excited about what I'm learning today than I was five years ago or 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and more passionate about sharing that learning with others. Mm. Yeah. Max, what else is it important about this topic for our listeners? Well, one thread between kind of the leadership development work and the integral coaching is what does it mean to really focus on our way of being? And I think a lot of leadership is like, some of it is what are the traits you need? There's a lot of what are skills? How do you build your skills, you know, um, to achieve more? And of course, knowledge, what are the leadership knowledge? What are the top three things you need to know to be an effective leader that, you know, there's a lot of that. But at the deepest level, our way of being calls forth dynamics in the world around us. And when we shift our way of being, we start shifting those dynamics. And what I have found is a lot of people struggle to even understand what does that mean, my way of being? Like, are you saying the things I think about? Are you saying the things I do every day? Like, a lot of people struggle to even understand it. And, you know, one of the reasons why I gravitated to integral coaching, that particular kind of mode of coaching was because it was so clearly focused on here's a really clear step-by-step -step process to help people move through shifts in their way of being. And, you know, one thing I'll add is I wrote a book. It was a, you know, it was my dissertation that I turned into a book called Race and Social Change. And it was a study of how large-scale social change happens. And I stumbled on, while I was doing my research into youth leadership in grad school, I stumbled on this one program that 
that created this really kind of provocative educational exercise um, that f turned out to be kind of in the line of a lot of some very infamous social psychology experiments like the Milgram Authority experiments and the Stanford Prison Experiment. But it was a week-long residential program. The young people were very diverse, and the, it was a week of really studying diversity and and uh, you know thinking deeply about all that. And on the last day, they created this kind of simulated Jim Crow-style social system where they said, all right, this morning, everybody's got to get into groups. And they separated all the kids into, into kind of r racial groups. And the kids actually belonged, you know, were, you know, at least looked like they should be in the groups that they were assigned to. And they said, now we're going into breakfast and the white kids going first and get double servings. And uh, every group lower in the hierarchy kind of went in later and got less and less food and resources. And, the, you know, the black kids were sitting on the floor. And the idea was, over the morning, this, this was a chance for students to practice challenging these systems. And so, and what I saw that first time that I, I saw this was a miniature civil rights movement was like on the scale of a little summer camp with 40 kids, these things would unfold, these processes, these, you know, resistance, these nonviolent protests would suddenly form and challenge the authorities and the structure and the whole, the whole system transformed. And I was like, this is everything I've ever really cared about understanding. So I observed three more of them. And, uh, you know, to, to, to understand what could we learn from this about how social change happens. And a lot of it was, you know, like, who were the ones who first challenged the system? What are the patterns of kind of who joins on later? There was a lot of that stuff. But the thing that was completely unexpected and turned out to be the most important thing was every every one of these exercises unfolded differently. And the best explanation that I could come up with was that somehow the systems were a reflection of the way of being of the people in charge. So there was one system where there was one very authoritarian and kind of uh, disconnected person in charge. Like they were like, I'm the only one in charge. Everybody do what I say. And then when the system started, the authority figure kind of sat in a, in a back room and just didn't, you know, did not pay attention. So it was this weird mix of, and the whole thing just kind of fizzled, you know? And then there was another one where somebody had a really big heart and was like, we're we're not gonna um, like re enforce these rules too strongly. And the system came together really fast with a lot of catharsis, but also not a lot of empowerment and not a lot of people feeling like they were able to step up and create change. And then there was one where the, the authority figures really balanced power and love. Like they had deep compassion for the participants, but they're also like, we're going to enforce the rules here so that they understand how these things feel, you know, and what it means to push back. And that was the system that generated the most creativity, like came the closest to kind of simulating a real life um, civil rights movement. And, you know, after studying this, researching it for years, it seemed to be that the way of being of the person in charge called forth a whole set of dynamics. You know, and the more I read into leadership literature and the more I started to see references to this of like how powerful our way of being is at creating the dynamics around us. You know, we don't even understand we're doing it. It's so deep, um, but just it's almost like a invisible energy field and people understand how to react to that. And so they start doing things, you know, um, so it, it just gave me a deep appreciation for the power of this way of being. And frankly, that if we're not working at that way of being, we're not really touching the, the deepest work that is required to create change right now. I think that's a great, great example 
that every leader needs to reflect on. Yeah. How you are showing up affecting the people around you. Because we all know it. There are those authoritarian figures that we show up and we comply. Yeah. We're not bringing our best selves. Well, people who are hungry for compliance gravitate towards that and it creates a whole dynamic, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it repels other people. Uh, and that's, you know, we each have kind of our way of being that leads some folks to show up and, and come into our orbit, other folks to stay far away, and all these dynamics kind of um, happen in ways that we don't understand how deeply connected we are to what is unfolding around us. Max, I think that's a great place for us to wrap up. We're leaving our listeners, I think, with a lot of questions, deep questions that are worth reflecting on and yeah. searching answers for. Love it. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.